0: This morning, we'll be looking at a number of different passages, but if you'd like to turn to Ephesians chapter 1, we will eventually end up and land there. Uh, but before we come to the Word specifically, let's go to our God in prayer, asking that He would speak to each of us as we uh, come to seek Him this morning. Our Father, we do come this morning with a celebration, a time of giving praise and thanks to you for the gift of Christ as. That gift is keenly on our minds and even at the forefront of our culture this day. We come as a people longing to not only give you praise that you are worthy to receive, but also as a people that are in need, having been the benefit, beneficiaries of your gift, we continue to be in need of your guidance, of your direction, even as we are constantly in need of your forgiveness. As we turn our attention to your word this morning, may we be reminded of what a gift this is as well. For this word reminds us of who you are and who we are and what you have done for us. So bless us in this time, not only that our minds would be renewed, but our whole life Be at work in us as we consider your story and your word this day. We pray in the name of Christ, who is the word incarnated to us. Amen. This morning what I'd like to invite you to do is to use your imagination. To imagine that you are at a professional production of Handel's Messiah or some other majestic musical masterpiece. Now having imagined that you are there, imagine that in the middle of that performance one of the musicians, maybe the trumpeter, for whatever reason decides to go nuts, ignoring the score that's before him, he decides to do his own thing, to play his own music, and therefore hits on a sour note even in the middle of a solemn stanza. It can't be ignored. One sour note can kill an entire performance. That one note continues to grate on everyone who has heard it, no matter how quickly the people try to recover, it's there. And so therefore the conductor has to think quickly and consider what his options are. He could try to ignore it, but he knows that's not going to work. Perhaps he would, can stop and start all over and tell the audience, sorry, we can do better than that. But the reality is, either way, that note is still out there because sound goes on forever, traveling at 1,000 feet per second in perpetuity. That sour note goes traveling out past the atmosphere of this world, out past the moon and to the sun, and even out of the galaxy, and continues to resonate because... No matter how much some may want to try to ignore it or to forget it, it happened. The only real solution would be if somehow a master musician would be able to take that sour note and redeem it and make it the first note in a whole new orchestration. And that is essentially the message of Christmas. The master of the orchestra is also the great composer of all of creation. And he's done that very thing. He's taken the sour note of history and turned it into a masterpiece that not only all people on earth can celebrate, but we're told that the angels of heaven continue to long to see and talk about and sing about. So glorious was this new orchestration. The one who had created all things, including a people, to bear his own image, had given them everything that they could possibly want, even his presence with them in a perfect fellowship. And yet one of the players went nuts and decided to do his own thing rather than to continue to follow the script that was laid out by the creator of all creation. In Adam's sin, we find that first sour note in history. And the consequence of that sour note, we were told from the very beginning and we're told even today, is death. That's what it warrants to ignore the creator of all creation who cannot ignore the sour note, who cannot or will has chosen not to just stop and start all over with a new creation, but to take that one note, and then to do a new thing. To demonstrate the beauty of his glory, of his grace, and of his being. It was an old plan. We know that it wasn't something that came thousands of years lately later as he was scratching his head, because the scriptures tell us almost immediately after that sour note was hit, in Genesis 3.15, God made the promise of what was going to be the new orchestration. God would establish a new covenant, a covenant of grace with those who belong to him, and this is what his promise was to the people who hit the sour note. I will put enmity between you and the woman. He's speaking now to the enemy who tempted to the note. And between your offspring and her offspring. And he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Theologians refer to this as the proto-uangelion. The first time the gospel grace is declared in all of the scriptures. And a prophecy that would be fulfilled on that Christmas day on which Christ was born. Because he is the seed of the woman. He is the promised New note. Christ was born to redeem the sour note and to declare to us the fullness of the glory of God. That's why Paul, when he's thinking about that later in Colossians 1, he begins this letter declaring this, "...in Christ all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven." making peace by the blood of his cross. That's an incredible passage for us to consider on this Christmas day. Because Christ is the fulfillment of that promise where God, in this case, not surprised by the orchestra by the the player going nuts, having created them, being fully aware, prepared, and then revealed at that time What his plan was going to be. And in one who was born to be like us, we are able to see visibly, tangibly, by faith, the attributes, the glory, the majesty of God, our Creator. It's all embodied in the person of Jesus Christ. And to make more clear the character of our God in relationship to the creation, us, that he has made, we see not only how he responds to the rejection, but we become the beneficiaries of his response as well, which is exactly what Paul was saying. Not only is the fullness of the glory of God in this person, But through this person, he's going to reconcile all things by Christ being born in order to die, his blood being shed on the cross. The passage is a beautiful Christmas passage, but it's also one that helps us to understand there is no Christmas without Easter. There is no reason to celebrate except for what Christ has done in the resurrection. Jesus came and was, and was born to die And so as we come on this Christmas day, it's right that we consider the fullness of God's glory in the person of Jesus Christ, moving beyond the sentimentality of the cuteness of a baby, recognizing the purpose for which he was born, looking and pondering at this person, being reminded that in him, we know what God is like. In him, we see God. And through him, we are made right with God. And Paul elaborates even more specifically in Ephesians chapter 1, and what he has done to reconcile us. These are the true Christmas gifts. Beginning in verse 7, we read this. In him we have redemption through his blood. The forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he has lavished upon us. The first gift of Christmas. is the forgiveness of our sins because Christ, through his own blood, has redeemed us, reconciling us to himself. We are now in right relationship. That's a special thing sometimes we take for granted, but it's also during this time of the year that we recognize and we have to experience sometimes family's intention. As people come from far and wide, differences that perhaps have not been resolved, now we are faced with these things. And in the awkwardness of those moments, we give almost anything to have those differences set aside, to be reconciled, to be made one. Well, how much more with God? The first gift was we who were alienated from God have been reconciled through the gift of Christ. We are now one. We here understand the love of our God who has saying, you are forgiven. You are mine. It is now past. It is now covered in the person of Christ. The first Christmas gift is that reconciliation through that redemption. The second Christmas gift we see in, in, in continuing in, in this passage. In Christ, all wisdom and insight was made, known to, uh, was made known to us through mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. The second gift of Christmas after being reconciled to God is that God has revealed to us the mystery of his plan. We are told, here is the will of God. Here is the plan of God, and it is unfolded. We who wander and need knowledge, we find it fulfilled in this gift. In Christ, we see what God is like, we see how God is at work, and we see the unfolding of God's plan. We're told third in Christ, In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. We're told of our standing. In fact, we are made in unity with him. We have received an inheritance as part of God's Christmas gift to us. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, believed in him, and you were sealed with the promise of the Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it, the praise of his glory. We are told that the Christmas gift that God gives to us in this is the blessing of the Holy Spirit, who is not only the deposit, but he is the secure and he is the gift of the inheritance that we are to receive in full to come. See, we celebrate the Christmas gift and the gifts that were brought to the baby Jesus, sometimes not recognizing that the reason for that is we are celebrating the gifts that were given to us, the original bundle. It comes as a package. It comes together. It comes incarnate. It comes in Christ. We receive it by faith in him, Believing, trusting, celebrating, rejoicing in God's gift to him. Not the quality of which we do, but just the fact that we are believing and knowing that this is our hope, and that this is what God is like, and he is one who gives to those who do not deserve it. These are the benefits. These are the Christmas gifts. And this was God's plan from the very beginning. And at the sounding of that sour note that he put into action, spinning off the entire new masterpiece that was born in Mary, the person of Christ, of whom angels sings and humanity celebrates. Because the good news of Christmas is the promise to all who embrace this child who is the gift in whom all benefits are bundled. that not only has he, but he also will turn the sour notes of your life and my life and incorporate it into the symphony for his good pleasure. Whatever you are experiencing, it is not outside of God's purpose or his ability to make it beautiful. Christmas is the promise, the demonstration, and the initiation of that very promise. It's the reason to sing. It's the reason to celebrate. It's the reason to be in awe of the living and true God. Father, we do thank you for this gift or these gifts in the gift of Christ Jesus. I pray, Lord, that you would be at work within us that we may ponder and consider. Uh, just the, the weight and the value of what these gifts are, and at the same time remind us by the deposit of your Holy Spirit that is incalculably valuable that these gifts are. They are found only in Christ and not merely from him. So turn our affection to the person who has given himself for us, as a demonstration of true love, that we may love not only him, but others as well. In this, may you be pleased. May we find peace. May you be glorified. Set us free, we pray. That we may have the joy of the gift of Christ. Not only this day, but every day you give us in this earth and for all eternity. All praise and glory and honor to you, our God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.